Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, I'm getting tired of saying this, but what a difference a week makes. We had some really great weather. We had some... Last Saturday was 76 degrees. I had dinner on my patio, and we all know what happened since then. I've been trying to decide whether to ice fish or take my boat out. And you know what? There's going to be opportunities to do both, and we're going to talk about both today. We're also going to talk about how this weather is going to affect the fishing and the big game movement. We're going to talk about that and waterfall, too. So we're going to talk a lot about how this cold, unusually cold weather coming in so soon uh, will affect uh, the movement of both game and fish. So we have a lot to cover there. Uh, We're going to talk to you a little later in this hour about a new game on your phone that might be interesting. It's called Agent of Discovery. It's like a Pokemon game that you can play in state parks. That'll be kind of fun. We just have a lot to cover. Uh, On my Facebook page, because this weather was setting in, I did uh, post an ice thickness chart that's put out by several government agencies on what they consider the proper thickness of good new clear ice for supporting a person for ice fishing on for a vehicle. Uh, You can find that on my Facebook page at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And we're going to talk more about ice safety later on in the show, too. And we're going to talk, I'm sure, about using a spud bar when Nate Zielinski comes on. And if you want to see me using a spud bar and demonstrating it, if you go to my YouTube channel, uh, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, uh, I take you up to North Michigan Reservoir at early, early ice, and I kind of describe what the ice looks like, how I use the spud bar, and then we catch a bunch of fish up there, too. But right now, let's go right to the phones. Uh, joining us, one of our favorite contributors, Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. Uh, it is uh, it is actually pretty nice, and it's going to warm up. Uh, I know you were out checking ice. We're going to get to fishing, but I know with this cold, you and I were talking. We were both had ice fishing on our minds, and we'll touch on that a little bit. And I'm sure there's some of it going on in the mountains, and we'll get to that during the show. But the biggest reason I wanted to get you on right away this morning is the waterfowl. Uh, You know, there's resident ducks and geese that we hunt, and there's migratory ducks and geese we hunt. And the weather can so greatly affect those migration patterns. When they come, how long they stay, What's the best way to address the situation? And I know you do a lot of guiding for waterfalls, so why don't you get us up to date on the seasons and what's going on? Terry, I tell you what, you know, the early part of the duck season had been really hit or miss for the people in the northeast region of the state, but this cold front and snow that came in, it brought down a bunch of northern birds and has made for some phenomenal duck hunting and has pushed a lot of geese in. And we're right at that time of year where the normal central flyway goose season outside of a few special zones, that opens up here November 4th. And then up in the the north front range zone, you're starting up uh, November 23rd. So we've got an opportunity to capitalize on this real early push of geese as well as getting into the ducks. And so it should be some great hunting for I'd say all the way through Thanksgiving, as long as the big reservoirs don't freeze up, we're seeing a few of those ponds that are freezing up. 
So you might have to change your strategy of where you're hunting, especially ducks. Look for bigger reservoirs, river bottom sloughs, and you can get out on some of the best hunting of the year is probably going to happen in the next two weeks. Well, and a couple things will affect that hunting. If you can, you're a much more accomplished waterfall hunter than I am. But a couple things you mentioned ice. So if we do get areas freezing up, you may have to adjust where you hunt, and we'll get into that here in a second, because they'll look for different areas. They may go from a, a pond that was open to a larger reservoir or to the river, and we'll talk about that. But also, we've had a bunch of resident ducks that were around, especially while it stayed warm, and they were getting pretty spooky. And the migrate, the migrating birds, uh, they even though they're getting hunted up north, after they migrate a little bit, they seem to be a little more approachable. You think that's right? It is, and I think they're educated to the tactics of hunters as they come down. But the thing is, they're new to the, the area. They don't know where they can go, where refuge areas are that maybe don't allow hunting or um, you know, don't have people that actually hunt it, and what areas are getting hunted. So they're kind of looking around to see, you know, hey, where do we go? And when they see that decoy spread, the first thing they think is, man, there's food there, and it's a safe spot to go. And so they come in, and, and uh, hopefully the hunters are able to fool them in close enough to be able to harvest a few of them. But uh, that usually happens for about two weeks or so. You know, when you get a push of birds in, you get about that two-week window where they haven't quite figured out the location. And if weather stays the same, you know, um, they're going to act relatively the same and, and be out looking for new areas. So it makes for really good hunting for that couple weeks then any weather that either pushes in new birds or changes what the birds are looking for you get another you know influx of either birds kind of looking for other sources of food or you get those new birds in and it starts all over again now what is the situation where are we on the duck seasons right now we're right in the middle in the northeast zone we're right in the middle of the first split that started back on October 12th, and it's going to run through December 2nd. And that's basically east of I-25, north of I-70. So we're in the heart of that, really the, the true migration. I, I was out this morning, saw gadwalls and widgeons and a few teal, and then a bunch of mallards in. So we've got some of our northern mallards and mountain mallards down, but we still have some of those what I'd consider like middle-season ducks, those gadwalls and widgeons which usually, in my experience, have, if you're in the right area, they, they decoy real well. And so it's, it's a great opportunity to get out and get on some good duck hunting before it gets too cold. Good time to take kids or new hunters out. There's a lot of variety out there, and it's not a January day where it's 15 below zero. And um, they may not enjoy it as much as a, a, a diehard hunter would. Now, if you weren't going with a guide like yourself um, and you just wanted to get out, you're fairly new to duck hunting, but maybe you have some experience, you have a few decoys, you can do a little calling. What would you look for over this next week to go after the ducks? We'll get to the geese in a minute. What kind of habitat would you look for, and then how would you approach it? If you've got a few dozen decoys, which I'm going to call kind of an average to smaller spread, I would say go look on the state has a ton of opportunity and public land along the South Platte River from basically brush to the state line. And I've, I've talked to a few people that have been out there hunting a few of them. 
uh, of the different state wildlife areas. And on Wednesday and Thursday, they both shot uh, 15 bird limits for the guys that were out there. So the opportunity out there is really good. If you've got a bigger spread, then maybe I'd look at some of the bigger reservoirs. You've got Pruitt out there and Jumbo. Both of those have opportunities to hunt on on them. So that that's where I'd be targeting the ponds. They may reopen again with the warmer weather, so you might get a little more pond hunting, but it's going to start to get pretty unpredictable as far as they, they may have skim ice or just a little bit of ice and then open up in the afternoons. So the one thing to think about in a pond area that maybe is pretty frozen in the morning but opening up in the afternoon is don't overlook the afternoon hunting. You may not have as many birds flying, but the birds that do usually decoy really well. So that may be another opportunity. Go out to, say, a brush prairie ponds or a red lion and try that afternoon hunting. If you can hit it when the a front's coming in and the wind's blowing, even better. And this warming weather um, should keep those ducks here for a while before they will move out, right? Yeah, we'll have enough open water to keep them here, and the warming weather's going to melt the snow down. The farther east part of the state didn't get quite as much snow. So the big key is with keeping any waterfowl around is having some sort of open water that they can roost on and then having a field opportunity to feed or or shallower ponds that they can feed in. So we're going to be able to keep both the roosting area and the feed available for these birds. So I see them sticking around at least until either all the ponds freeze over solid or we get a big heavy snow, you know, six, eight inches that sticks around for a week and covers up the field, the now, feed out in the fields. Now, let's, that's a great segue into the geese who tend to use the fields even more. If you were out, geese, the new goose uh, and part of the goose season opens just uh, just Monday, I guess. So how would you approach next week if you were going to go goose hunting? Well, ideally, if you've got an opportunity to hunt a field, that's probably where I would start hunting, especially if you can find a traffic area, somewhere that birds are traveling between two spots. So they're going to they're gonna see you and really come in. But if you, haven't, if you don't already have permission or have a lease that uh, provides you that opportunity, there isn't, if you look at the walk-in access, there's a few places, but a lot of those fields haven't been harvested yet. So what I would really do is I would target getting some floaters and heading out to those big reservoirs and trying to chase them on the reservoir. Now, if you don't have a floater, but you have a shell, I'm going to give away a little secret here that I used as I was growing up. If you take a line of pipe insulation and put it on the bottom of those shells, they'll actually stay up and float. Just put drill a little hole in, put an anchor weight on there. You can't carry as much as real floaters, but I tell you what, you can get a dozen to two dozen of those shells out on the water, and you don't need as big a spreads on the water to get geese to come in as you do in a field. All right. Well, let's... You know, so you think there's going to be some great opportunities. Of course, people need to be practicing their calling. One of the reasons I always waterfall hunt with somebody else is I'm a terrible caller, so I can just have them call them in or I just jump shoot and walk to the... Is there any of the jump shooting still available, or is that pretty much over? You know, jump shooting on the river, There, there's opportunities there um, for sure. A uh, few of the ponds may have some opportunities, like I say, more in the afternoon when those birds get in there and kind of rest rest a bit. The big reservoirs are, are going to be too big to jump shoot. 
And the other one, if you can get access to it, they're still running water into irrigation ditches and and switching over into the reservoir ditches. And if you've got permission there, those bends and curves, it's it's like fishing a, a river for trout. You've got areas that the current's heavy, and then you've got quiet areas. And if you find those quiet areas, you'll find birds that sit on those ditches. And with the high bank of the ditch, usually you can sneak and jump those really well. So don't overlook those areas for opportunities to jump shoot, especially ducks. Well, that's that's a great segue when you talk about the bend in the river because I want to finish up with some fishing. I'm going to get a report from everybody. By the way, uh, Nate's going to talk fishing later on, and Dan Swanson's going to join us in the second hour to talk electronics and the spoon bite. So if you were looking to go out right now, I know some people are venturing out in the, up in the mountains. I know you've checked some ice down here in the Front Range, and I know you plan on still doing some fishing. How are you going to approach the next week? Well, with the temperatures they're talking about, I don't think any of the spots that I found, you know, I, I found a couple smaller ponds that had two inches of ice but never really got to a fishable amount. And so I'm going to kind of put the ice fishing stuff on the back burner for at least another two, three weeks along the Front Range here, even it may be a month. So I'm going to target mainly going out and fishing either small ponds that have recently been stocked. You can still catch good bass in those ponds. Just slow down your presentation and catch trout. Or I'm going to hit some of the reservoirs. And what Dan's going to talk about with the spooning or a jig and rat bite, that is going to be key for catching all species. And if I had to list a few reservoirs I'd be targeting, I'd be going to Chatfield, Cherry Creek, Boyd and probably horse tooth right along this northern front range corridor. And if you're down south, don't forget Pueblo. The bite at Pueblo has been really good. Well, and if you want to know more about uh, the spoon jigging folks, um, a good friend of Brad's and mine, Tom Bruno, and I did a TV show video. It's on my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. And we went down to Pueblo, and that's where we filmed it. I actually wrote that part of the uh, critical concept books for walleye fishing by in fishermen. I wrote those chapters and Pueblo was the classic lake we used, Brad, because it does have the shad population. It gets the, the, the water to uh, cool drastically at times and it stays open year round. So once that bite starts uh, right now, you can fish it until the fish get too deep where you really don't want to fish for them. But if you were headed to Pueblo, what kind of area would you look for? Uh, Pueblo, I'm going to look at two things. There is a shallow water jerkbait bite going on in the low light period. So in the morning and the evenings where you can catch both nice walleyes and some of the wipers are up there. So if I'm up there real early, I'm probably going to try a few of those spots in the flats. So that mid lake shoal area, there's a good flat right out in front of Peck Creek. Those are the areas I'm going to try for that jerkbait bite. Now the spooning bite, the nice thing about that is electronics you're going to be able to go and find those fish that you want to target. I would go to the Boggs Flat area, which is a little bit closer down towards the dam or the jet ski beach. And then also, again, that mid-lake shoal, look out in the deeper water. But don't be afraid. Pueblo is a lake that you can definitely catch fish down to, you know, 50, 60 feet. But if you are doing that, make sure that you're prepared to get those fish and return them safely to the depth, whether you're um, 
you know, catching him, unhooking him quick and letting him go down that way, uh, a late receiver type thing, or even if you have to, being able to fizz a fish is key when you're pulling fish out of that depth so that you aren't killing a bunch of the fish. Now, but you the can depth all- range is, is typically about 20, 26 to 40 feet at Pueblo this time of year. Um, and then uh, don't be uh, surprised if you catch some catfish and some others because uh, catfish, people think they're just bottom feeders. They will nail a spoon. In fact, a good friend of ours, Charlie Black, I think he had a jigging wrap, but he was doing this kind of fishing and caught a state record blue cat, I believe it was. And, yes, and he did. And so one last question, then I want to get to our next guest. But uh, when you go after this, I know you like the jigging wraps, the Johnny Darters, the Shiver Minnows, those kind of baits. Uh, I prefer more blade baits and spoons, but I do use the others. I just haven't fished the jigging wraps in open water enough. When do you use one and compared to the other? For me personally, my first lure that I go to is the jigging wrap, both casting and vertically fishing. If I don't, if I'm marking fish and not able to catch them, that's when I go more to the spoon. And I've had better luck, particularly you know, up at Boyd and Horsetooth casting a spoon when I'm working a brake line than I do vertically jigging. Vertically, it just seems like the jigging wrap excels. And when it comes to casting, you know, I, I start with the jigging wrap, I go to a spoon, and if Charlie's in the boat, you know, it's 50-50 whether he starts with a blade bait or a jigging wrap, and then he'll go to the other one. So a lot of it's personal preference and what you feel comfortable with but pick one of them and get real confident with it. If the fish aren't cooperating, try the other. And then when the fish are biting real well, try one of those other presentations out so that you understand the nuances because each one's just a little bit different. And that understanding those little nuances will help you catch a lot more fish. Brad, we got to go. We're way over time, but thank you so much. Rebecca, we will get to you and spend plenty of time on what you want to talk to. Thank you for being patient. Brad, we'll talk to you again really soon. Keep checking the ice for me. All right, we'll do. All right. Brad Peterson, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going to go right to the phones where I hope she's been patiently waiting and talk to Rebecca <laughs> Farrell from uh, Parks and Wildlife. Sorry about the delay there, Rebecca, but thanks for hanging on. No worries. I gave you a chance to figure out who to talk to to go fishing out at Lake Pueblo. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what. We, people, they quit fishing too, too early in the year. Um, because, you know, a lot of them are out hunting and we're going to talk about what's going on with big game, you and I, and a lot of them are just, they've settled in to watching TV and sitting by the fire, which is great. I enjoy some of that, but some of the best fishing of the year is in the fall and it's not crowded. There's nobody out there. Yeah. It's just a great we time. Always, to... always encourage people to go out fall fishing. It's, it's a great time of year. Like you said, it, it's far less crowded and there's still a lot of fish to be had. Well, and you and I both know, because you've been on the show many times, and I talked to all the folks from Parks and Wildlife, that more and more people are doing fall, winter, year-round activities. Uh, parks and the activities in our parks is no longer just a summertime event. It's year-round. Absolutely. That's one of the best parts of living in Colorado. Oh, it is. Hey, now, speaking of that, we talked about how these weather changes and time of the year have affected the uh, bird migrations, but it's affecting other animals too. And because of that, we have to be a little more cautious, don't we? 
Absolutely. So tonight and or early tomorrow, depending on your schedule, we'll be looking at daylight savings time. And I know I, for one, appreciate that extra hour of sleep, but we're also looking at things staying a lot darker in the morning and, and getting darker a little earlier in the evening. And so um, while people are, are pretty cognizant of the fact that wildlife tend to be uh, out and about between those dusk and dawn hours, they need to really think about the fact that even though your work hours haven't changed, those hours of daylight have. And so right now is when uh, you're going to be more likely to start seeing wildlife on and near the roads. Um, that's because obviously they're migrating down uh, to where the food and the water is, and especially after these storms we've had, it's, it's time for them to get to where things are a little bit more calm for their, their winter settling in. Um, but deer are also still in the rut, and so um, when they're, they're looking to mate, they are not paying attention to much of anything other than getting that activity done, and so it's up to us to really be cognizant and be aware and be looking for wildlife on and near the roads. Well, you're absolutely right, and although the rut might take place, place sometime around this time of the year every year some of the migration you know the last few years we haven't had cold weather this early so is that are we seeing maybe a little earlier migration so people really need to kind of reset their thinking because of that yeah, we, we, we absolutely do. And, you know, keep in mind that animals don't have a calendar, right? They're not looking for November 15th as, the, as moving day. So as weather changes and as, as things change up in the, in the higher terrain and with some of the storms and the snow that we've had this year, um, they're going to be moving down a little bit earlier. So it, it's really important for us to be thinking about and looking for um, those animals making those moves. Well, and I think it's just, uh, you know, it's just common sense. You know, I well, I was almost going to say I grew up in northern Minnesota, but my wife, who's my producer, would have come on and said I just got older there. I never grew up. But, <laughs> but you know, we would get the deers and small, deer and small game along the road uh, driving the highways in northern Minnesota all the time. And I think we got real conditioned to watching for it. But I think in Colorado sometimes people don't realize that it isn't just those mountain roads and things where you're liable to see a deer elk, is it? Absolutely. And, you know, we have some pretty well-known hot spots around the state that, that we've been watching. And, and one of those is, is right along I-25. And so Colorado Parks and Wildlife has worked really closely with the Colorado Department of Transportation on that, that big I-25 gap project. Um, we know it's, you know, not the most convenient for, for drivers right now, but it's important for people to know that as part of that project, um, we had game cameras out. We saw some of the, the traveling patterns of big game right there between Larkspur and Castle Rock. And so we know that, that animals had had a high incidence of being hit there. And so as they redo that project, um, they've added four, uh, passes, overpasses, and underpasses for wildlife, and they've increased the amount of deer fencing, um, by a great amount. And so right here in the front range, right here on those those major freeways that you might not think about being a, a, an important corridor for wildlife. It certainly is, and, and we're working with CDOT really closely to try and mitigate that best we can. i, I got to share something with you, and I won't use anybody's name or who they were, but you guys were, uh, you put up a new deer crossing sign in an area, and a person said, why would they want them to cross there? That's a busy place. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised what the things people think wildlife can do. Yeah. Now let's let's get serious for a minute. Um, there, there. We want people to be aware. The best thing, you know, one of the things a lot of new cars have now are the automatic dimming headlights, so that you can mm -hmm. put your lights on bright, and they will dim when you either come up behind a car or one approaches you. But having your headlights on properly and 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 properly lined for your car and seeing those eyes, that's one of the biggest things at those dusk and dawn hours. 
Absolutely. You know, there are some things that, you know, really people should be doing all year long, um, paying attention to those traffic signs. Um, the deer may not know that's where they need to cross, but we know that's where they're crossing. And so um, we ask people to really kind of pay attention to those traffic signs and obey because we put them there for a reason. We know that's where some of those migration patterns and, and crossings happen. Um, and certainly just slow down. You know, it, it, we all have places to go. We're a busy society, but traveling at high speeds really will increase the danger of any collision that you may have. And so if you keep yourself a little bit slower, especially when you're in those winding dark areas and stay alert, um, watch for those eyes. One of the things that, that we hear from people who do get themselves into, into accidents is, you know, I saw a pair of eyes over on the right side of the road and I was really paying attention, uh, but then another one darted right out. And so if you're seeing a pair of those glowing eyes, odds are pretty good that there's going to be multiple pairs of those, those eyes out there as well. Now, what, what should we do? I know CDOT and both you guys have some recommendations that I wholeheartedly agree with. Heaven forbid I'm going down the road and there's a deer in front of me. How do I react? Well, first of all, of course, you know, we're hoping that you're, you're paying attention and slowing down a little bit so that you can stop. Um, if the animal is stopped in the middle of the road and you are able to, to stop in front of that animal, you know, honk your horn, flash your headlights, give it the warning that you're there, give it a signal that maybe it's time for it to move on. Um, you know, but we, we see and hear a lot of times people, you know, they, they swerve to avoid that animal. And if you have the ability to slow down um, in a lot of instances, it, it's better to actually um, not swerve. Um, you're going to want to do your best to slow down and stop. But if you can, it, it's probably better to actually hit the animal than swerve in a lot of cases. Um, obviously, if you're, you're looking at a moose dead ahead, it's a little bit different than a deer. But um, in any case, in any situation, you know, we, we beg people to please wear your seatbelts um, because not every collision is avoidable. Um, we know that the risk of, of serious injury and, and death and crashes is, is cut in half if people just wear their seatbelts. All right. You know, just the message we want to get out is the animals are moving. They'll be along roadways because there's protection. They may like some of the salt that's down there. Hunters are going to be pushing them around. We have the rifle season. They're in the rut. Both deer and elk are, I mean, the elk aren't in the rut. Their rut is over, but they're moving. The weather's got them migrating. Just be extra careful, right? Absolutely. Pay attention to, to what's around you. Be aware the wildlife are going to be on and near the roadways and, and do your part to help conserve the wildlife here in Colorado. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks, Harry. You bet. That's Rebecca from uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We're, we're running a little bit behind, but don't go away because our next segment is going to be fun. If you ever played like Pokemon or those kind of things, you're going to find what state parks has an opportunity to go out and really have some fun. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. This is a great eagle song. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, and we better go right to the phones because... Mary McCormick from Parks and Wildlife is waiting for us. Hopefully she was as patient as Jennifer was because we're running behind. But, Mary, you got something really fun to tell us about. I do. Thank you, Terry. Thanks for having me on. Um, do you want me just to run, r- jump right into it? Well, sure. Well, let's, let, let's, we, you know, we could tease them, but let's tell them. It's a, <laughs> it's a new game for your phone, and it's called Agent of Discovery, right? Right. That's- yes. And this is. It's an um, an app that you can download on your phone, yeah. Right, and I downloaded it a couple of days ago, but I wasn't in a state park, so I couldn't take my assignment or whatever it is. But <laughs> but it's it's kind of along the lines of play, people have played like Pokemon Go or something. It's not that, but it, it kind of comes from that kind of virtual reality, right? 
Exactly. So it's it's definitely inspired by the the Pokemon Go uh, craze that was a few years ago, and so it's actually an augmented reality experience. So you don't need goggles or anything like that to use it. You just need a smartphone. Um, and so because I think over I think it's like some percentage, like over seventy percent of people own a smartphone. Um, the thought was, hey, why don't we make use of a tool that is in most people's pocket and have them interact and engage in some of our parks in a new way to to have some fun, play some games, but also learn about the place that they're at. So um, it's, we're all really excited to, to see what the public thinks about this opportunity. Okay, so I download Agents of Discovery to my phone, and I head out to one of the locations, and there's certain locations where it's available right now, and that will grow, and it's not just here in Colorado, but that will grow. And so I head out to St. Vrain State Park because that's one of the areas. What do I do? What have I, you know, do yeah, I? But, yeah, so that's what's really cool. So it is, it's tied to um, your GPS, so it will it will know where you're at and they'll know what mission they're called missions what missions are in your area so if you're around the longmont area uh saint Vrain state park should show up as a potential um place to to use the agents of discovery experience and what one thing that's really neat if you're in an area that doesn't have great cell phone reception you can actually once you download the agents of discovery app it will it will always know where you're at and what mission is near you. And you can actually download that mission even before you go to the park so that you don't need to use the internet or anything to, to play the, the games and, and that are at that site. So once you're at St. Brain, your phone should kind of the agents of discovery, you open up that app. It should recognize that you're at St. Brain. And if you've already downloaded it, you can just start playing the mission. And each park has their own, what's called an agent, and it's kind of like their mascot. So their mascot might be, say, at um, Staunton State Park, it's a marmot because they uh, have a marmot festival every year, and so they celebrate a marmot. So you have a little marmot dressed up as a park ranger who kind of guides you through the mission. And the mission is really just made up of a few different activities along kind of a it's probably on an actual trail, but the Agents of Discovery is more of like a virtual trail. All right. Now, is it just <laughs> you just learn or do you compete with anybody or how does that work? You don't necessarily compete with anyone. It's more just a learning uh, and a learning opportunity. And the, the parks are basically designing the experiences. And another thing that's really cool is that they can, you know, some of the parks designed a Halloween trail you know, to, for folks this past week, you know, the past couple of weeks to experience. And then they can turn that challenge off or that mission off and create a new one. So you can constantly have new experiences. They can be relevant to the time of year or um, special events or other things that are going on in the plate in that particular place. Um, some of our parks, like Bar Lake State Park, has a water trail. So not sure how um, useful that's going to be this time of year, but when you can go on the lake in a canoe or a kayak, you can learn about the park history um, using this app. Uh, St. Brain, theirs is a junior ranger program. So, um, 
you know, all of the parks are kind of embracing this a little bit differently, but creating fun and interactive games for people to learn about their park. Now, if my understanding is right, there's about 10 state parks so far that have adopted it, and then there's some forest service areas and some municipalities and local parks also. Yeah, that's what's really neat. So this is this app is being used across the country. Um, so if you download that app, again, if you're at a park or another outdoor space that uses the Agents of Discovery, you, you can have that, that opportunity right right on your phone. So, yeah, for us, we have 10 state parks, primarily in the front range, but we do have um, Ridgeway State Park in the southwest region, um, Steamboat in the northwest region, um, Trinidad and Cheyenne Mountain in the southeast region, and then here in the kind of Denver metro area, we have Bar Lake, Chatfield, uh, Cherry Creek State Park, Staunton State Park, St. Rain, and then I, it's funny, 11 Mile for us is considered in the Northeast region, but I know that it might be more accessible for folks in the Southeast too, but and, and, 11 Mile is also there. And lastly, there's no charge or subscription fee? No, absolutely no charge. It is free once you download it. It's free, and again, if you're going to like 11 Mile where you know the reception is spotty, um, download the the 11 mile mission before you get there so that you can use it when you're there all right sounds like it's great i've got it on my phone now i just gotta go somewhere and try it out i'm kind of anxious to see how it works thank you so much for joining us mary this sounds like a lot of fun cool well thank you so much and i i hope people get out there and and use it and let us know if you like it that's the way we'll make sure we can expand it (laughs) all right thank you so much mary mccormick from colorado parks and wildlife We're going to take a time out, and Nate Zielinski is going to join us, and we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. We're going to talk about big game, where the status is right now. We're going to talk about fishing, ice fishing, safety, all kinds of things, and more coming up on Terry Oaks from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Dire straight. That's the way you do it. All right, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We'll go right to the phones and see what Nate Zielinski thinks of my singing. You know, I didn't even know who that band was. I was trying to think, and I'm like, man, I just don't know them. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we got a lot of ground to cover, my friend. Way to avoid the we question. Way to avoid the question, too. Very political of you. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be politically correct. Hey, by the way, I, I understand it's the twins' birthday, and you took them to a very special place. We are. You know, uh, the, the kids are all about being little American children. That's for sure. They turned six today, and uh, they know every president that's uh, ever been in the United States, and they uh, know facts about every single president. So we figured to celebrate their birthday to go up to uh, Mount Rushmore. So we're... Uh, we're here in South Dakota checking out Mount Rushmore today and, uh, yeah, enjoying a really special day off. Well, right. why don't you wish them both a happy birthday right here on the air? I will. Happy birthday, Lane and Lauren. Uh, yeah, we're having a ball here. All right. Now let's get down to business. <laughs> I thought we would Absolutely. I thought we'd take the first a few minutes here before the quick break and talk some uh, big game, and then we'll take a station ID and talk some fishing. So what's going on with the deer and elk? You know, Terry, it's it's one of those seasons that every year you you never know what you're going to be dealt. You know, and it's so hard because it's just one of those things. That 
a as a hunter, you have to plan accordingly. You have to plan way ahead of schedule. Um, you know, we put in for our tags, uh, you know, generally speaking for the draw units and for all your deer tags, you put in the first Tuesday of April. So you're well, you know, ahead of any guesses of what the seasons and weather and climate's going to be. Um, so you never know. And, you know, so many of our, our units in Colorado are, are good no matter what what you're dealt with weather you know obviously if it's dry and hot or if it's cold and snowy you hope to make the most of it and then there's other units that sometimes the snow hurts you and there's other units where sometimes the snow really helps you um and this year we have had more cold and more snow than normal uh today is the opening day of the third combined rifle season so when we say third combined that's a combination of a elk and deer unit sorry uh, of tags so you can have deer tags going right now you can also have elk tags going right now uh, and it's a nine day season this is probably one of my personal favorite tags uh to have in the state of colorado um Generally speaking, a lot of times everybody's seeking out, you know, that muzzleloader tag and that first rifle tag in the in the hopes of chasing elk. Um, and a lot of times some people overlook this third tag. Um, sometimes that muzzleloader and first rifle tag are hard to come by. It's harder to draw that tag. Um, again, it just takes more points, and it's just not as available. That's where this third rifle tag, a lot of areas it's over the counter uh, to buy that tag for elk. Uh, but the biggest reason why we love this tag is this is the week that we start seeing those bulls falling into their winter patterns uh, and it's a big deal so if you stare at the elk and you study the elk and you try to learn everything you can about the elk especially the bulls um, our bulls tend to go into kind of a hiatus they go into a break after the rut so we see these bulls running hard all the way up into that first rifle tag which is going to be that you know that second saturday basically in october um, once the guns start going off once the firearms come out there's a lot of pressure in the woods those bigger, more mature bulls separate from the cows, um, and they basically go into a, a resting period. Sometimes they rest for seven, ten days. Sometimes they rest for up to twenty days. Uh, but they're basically hit the dark timber, go into real small pockets, and they basically just relax from the rut. Obviously, the rut, you know, for some of these bulls is four to five weeks, and it, it, it's very dwindling on them. They get very dehydrated, lack of food, nutrition, all that kind of stuff. So they rest. Um, it's right now when they're basically falling into their winter patterns. They're now coming out. Out of that dark timber they're now getting into normal patterns as far as daily feed daily water daily beddy grouts um, and a lot of times it's where these bulls are going to spend the, the rest of their winter so whether they they do a, a migration to where that's at or, or just a, swift, a quick change of, of place um, regardless it's happening right now so these third rifle hunters especially with the snow and cold that we've had um, these bulls are now out so you can you can find these bulls they're more prevalent than they were during that second rifle tag so they're spending more time out out. One of the biggest things that I do as a hunter to create success on the elk this tag, um, so many times I'm looking for these animals on their feet in those key periods, early in the morning, late in the afternoon, just like we always do as a hunter. Now, when these bulls were in the timber during that second rifle, you couldn't do anything about it. So you pretty much had you know, a, a long day back in camp waiting for the animals to come out of their bed. Now that it's cold and we have snow, a lot of these bulls are bedding in aspen hillsides and oak brush hillsides. So now you can turn 
turn what's normally an, or an early and late hunt now into an all-bay hunt. So what I do is I get up on high, high peaks, high mountaintops, and I am glassing into adjacent hillsides that have aspens. All the leaves are off, and you can see through them. You get on that oak brush where the leaves are falling off. So now you can get high and look for these bulls that are bedded out in the open. They want to have cover around them, so they want to have this, the safety of having trees around them, but they also want some sunshine to keep them warm. So now all of a sudden you can really have a long hunt. Um, and really the tail end of this third rifle tag. So it starts today and it goes till next Sunday, so nine days. Um, the last four to five days of this hunt is when we start seeing the transition of our mule deer starting to show signs of that heavy rut activity. Um, so really, if you're an elk hunter or a deer hunter, this rifle tag, the conditions are in line for you more than likely. Uh, we just encourage everybody to hunt hard and really be ready for, uh, for, for what could be an epic hunt. Spend all day out there in the woods. You know, don't necessarily traipse around look into the adjacent hillsides and be ready for a, for a big migration of big deer coming up here in the next couple of days. You know, one of the things I've never asked you about, and we may run a minute past the top, but we'll bring you right back to talk fishing. Optics. What are your, when you're, you do a lot of glassing. Now, do you use binoculars? Do you use spotting scopes? Do you use range finders? Are there particular ones you like? Absolutely. You know, Terry, it, it, my optics are my life. I got to say, you know, obviously I put a lot of money into gear, but more than clothing, more than firearms, more than about everything I have, optics are everything. And for me, it's where you want to spend your money. Not so much for the for the sanctuary of, of having clear vision and seeing things. I glass so much. If I don't have good optics, I get headaches. I get eye strain. A lot of people know I had an eye issue a couple of years ago. Um, so I'm running Vortex Optics. And really for me, it's a combination between my binoculars and my spotting scope. Um, I actually use a 10 by 42 binocular. Um, so it's high power, but it's low power enough where I can still see in low light periods. If you get too much power, like a 10 by 50, um, you start losing some of that lower light uh, stuff for that early morning, that late evening. And so many times that's when it's a crucial time to, to be able to see good. So I run a 10 by 42 bino and I'm running a, a bino made by Vortex. It's called a Fury and it actually has a 5,000 yard rangefinder built in. Um, so it's awesome. So I have, number one, I eliminate two pieces of equipment into one. So I have a rangefinder and binoculars in one. The other biggest thing is as a bull is coming in or as I'm looking at an elk or a deer or the animal I'm hunting, um, I don't have to set down my binos and dig out my rangefinder. Now I can keep my hands where they're at, not moving. I can check the animal, make sure it's legal, make sure everything's you know going according to plan, and I can click a button and get the range on that. Uh, so I eliminate movement. So that's huge for me. And then spotting scope wise, same thing. I'm running a vortex, um, and I'm running high power. When I have my 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 spotting scope out, um, I'm looking long distance. I can't tell you how many times I'm looking at elk three, four, five miles away. I can't necessarily judge size, but I'm studying the animals. I'm finding them, and then I'm moving closer to get that. Um, so high power uh, spotting scope mixed with those Fury binos. Uh, it's a great combination there. All right, my friend, I'm going to put you on hold. We're just going to do a station ID and op- reopen the show and come back, and I want to talk fishing. Absolutely. All right. With Nate Zielinski, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We'll be back with more Nate after this uh, message.